Let's roll. This is Counter Charge, your podcast for ranks, flanks, and kings of war. as they delve into the world of Panathor and bring you worldwide coverage of all things Kings of War. Hi, I'm Danny Graves. You might remember me from such fantastic programs as How to Train Your Frostbang, Basilia's Got Talent, and who can forget that fantastic episode of Friends where I accidentally sold Ross and Rachel to an abyssal dwarf slave driver. <laughs> I'm here with Steve Hildrew, and this, ladies and gentlemen, is counter charge. Yay! Yay! Best, Hi, Steve! Hi, <laughs> mate. Best intro ever. I'm really excited today to welcome rising star of the blogging world, the wild man of Kings of War and walking L'Oreal advert. It's the best hair in Kings of War, real life warrior Danny Graves. Welcome to the show, mate. Oh, thanks, Steve. I've actually just had a haircut and it's all like, it's all nice and lovely at the moment. It's all shining, shining in the not sunshine since it's raining today. I actually feel guilty because you see all these uh, people running around protesting with big signs up in America saying, we need a haircut. And I'm like, oh, I've got one. <laughs> yeah, I think they're protesting about a bit more than that at the minute, aren't they? But uh, enough about that for the, the time news. Being. It's horrible. Yeah, it's not a great time. But um, so we are here to talk a little bit about Danny. You may have seen Danny from his uh, amazing blog. Get older. Don't grow up. I've got it right. Right. That'll do. That'll do. Something like that. So for those who don't know Danny. But give us a little bit of an intro to yourself. So um, where are you from? You know, what's your kind of tabletop wargaming origin story? Talk about a little bit what games you currently play and uh, what you've been up to during lockdown. Origin story. This could go on for ages. Take your time. It's all yours, mate. The whole show. <laughs> ah, well, obviously, like, you've got to have some kind of nerdiness in you. And obviously, when I was a little kid, I used to love stuff like She-Ra and He-Man, Transformers and Dungeons and Dragons, like films like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And um, you just get that bug and you're like, I want a little bit more. And somewhere on the library in the house, uh, one of my sisters, by weird chance, because they didn't like anything like that. There was a fighting fantasy book called, um, which one was it? Death Trap Dungeon. So uh, looking through that and all like the scary monsters and goblins and stuff, I was like, this is good. And then Hero Quest came on the TV and badgered my parents for that for christmas and then from there space crusade and then one of the fighting fancy books at the very front had a little uh, blurb and it said and in white dwarf magazine so i was like i'll check that out so i went down the news agents and i got my first ever white dwarf and do you know what steve that was august 1990 so this is my 30th year in wargaming wow not bad sure my age now <laughs> it's the same as me mate don't worry about it <laughs> So from there, just kind of snowballed, got a few miniatures here and there where pocket money would allow. Got um, first box that I got was Warhammer 4th uh, Edition with the High Elves and the Goblins. And from there, just got more armies, got into 40k, Necromunda, all that jazz. Fell out a little bit in my later teens when, you know, girls and drinking and rock and roll. And... To be honest, all the other kids were growing out of it and I didn't really have anyone to play anymore. So, yeah, I stopped. But then maybe I might have broken my foot while dancing in a nightclub and uh, ended up living back at my mum's on the couch for a few months. 
And just at the back, I was like, oh, there's some zombies up there. Got them down, found some paints. And all of a sudden, next thing I know, I'm going down Games Workshop every week, playing back into 40K, back into Warhammer. And when I moved back down south, I ended up working for Games Workshop for four years. And um, that was pretty much it for me. All in, Warhammer, carrying on. Um, once I left there, I kept on playing tournament scene in Warhammer. But eventually, when something really horrible happened and Warhammer died and poor little Danny was heartbroken. So I, I flailed around a little bit. I tried Age of Sigmar and, you know, it, well, that's another conversation, isn't it, Stephen? <laughs> yeah, never played it. But uh, yeah, no, I've heard horror stories, especially about the uh, the first edition, definitely. So I moved on to Horror's Heresy, which I absolutely loved. Um, all the big black books, really get into it all the novels, all the characters, and uh, got a really good group. And we used to play massive battles, like 42,000, 50,000 uh, aside, with like proper titans and knight legions and all sorts. But I really missed fantasy. And um, one of the local game shops, he had a couple of Kings of War bits in. I wasn't overly interested. A couple of people recommended it. And then... Um, he decided to do a Kings of War intro day and I was the only person that turned up. <laughs> but, but fortunately, a uh, bloke called Anthony Pearson who from the Guildford Games Club, he just popped in on his lunch break and he was like, oh, I'll give you a quick game. I was like, okay. So they had the intro game with the undead on one side and the dwarves and we had a little quick game of that and it was quite good fun. And fortunately, I'd still kept my Bretonian army from Warhammer. I was like, yeah, new edition. I'll finally be able to play with these again. Oh, so I still had them knocking around. So I was like, well, I can use them in Kings of War. That's pretty good. So I got myself the rule book. And a few weeks later at the shop, they ran a little uh, intro tournament. And I think there was about eight to ten of us. And I won my first two games and lost in the final, but I had a great day. And I was like, yeah, this is great. It's like the golden days of fantasy again. And my next tournament after that was Clash of Kings 2017. Going in at the deep end. So before we go on beyond to that, so what was your experience at GW? What were you doing at GW? Um, I did nine months as a part Oh, a few. I did the Eye of Terror summer campaign at the Woking shop. And then I moved to Guildford when there was a full-time position. I did nine months there. And then I went back to Woking for another three years. So all in retail. But yeah, I had a great time. I loved it. So um. In the end, well, you can't really live on Games Workshop wages. And because I was playing in a band as well, I didn't really have the time to put into going into management. So I left and now I'm a gardener. I honestly do as much hobby now as I did when I was working there. So it's not really a problem. Yeah. So cool. So um, so what's been your experience with Kings of War? How, how, as a kind of a fantasy player and coming from that 40k background, what is it you like about the rule set? Well, initially it was, well, I want to play Warhammer. There's not really any Warhammer players. And it was just sheer game availability. So looking at the tournament scene, there was the big Clash of Kings. So, yeah, well, I can go there. So I think I knew Rusty vaguely. And uh, I'd met Dom previously and chatted to him. Turned up at Clash of Kings. Didn't know anybody. And Dom didn't even recognize me because I shaved my beard off. <laughs> but um, he yeah, had a great time there. Met a few people. And then slowly, more and more tournaments started popping up. I was like, actually, you know what? I've actually got some games of this. It's great. And um, what I loved about Kings of War to get 
into it was I could use any models I wanted. So um, I had my Bretonian army, so I was like, right, I can play games whenever I want. But after this, I just fancy doing something completely radically different. And I got sick of painting Space Marines for Horus Heresy. So I went in and got the Trident Realm Mega Box, got a few more bits, and that was my Clash of Kings army. And just going on from there, I've absolutely loved it as the tournament scene's grown. I say I've seen the game grow online and it's opened up a new world because I've only ever been like a pure games workshop player before that. And um, all these new miniature companies, all the different cool bits, getting into the background of Kings of War. Yeah, it's been fantastic. And I do as many as I can now, really. Yeah, it did feel like shortly before kind of the COVID thing happened, it felt like we were really, especially in the UK, entering almost a golden age for Kings of War. Just like, you know, packed tournaments, full subscriptions, loads of games, and it's all kind of come grinding to a halt, isn't it, a little bit? Yeah, well, I was chatting to Mark Cunningham at the um, Franticon, and these, these tournaments are great down in um, the Shroud of the Reaper Gate ones. I've been to a couple now, and yeah, they're great fun. But he was struggling getting people for his um, first tournament of the year because everybody was fully booked. Wow. I had Stain of Blood in January. Uh, I think there was a, a King of Hearts one. Then I had Franticon, so that's one a month. And um, looking at my timetable, for the, there was like eight, nine tournaments I was booked on for this year. <laughs> it's yeah. crazy. So um, it got to the point where I was looking at, oh, there's a looks like a really good tournament over in Bristol or Derby and Loughborough. And I was just like, well, it's two and a half hour drive and I'm already doing two that month. So I <laughs> might as well stay here. <laughs> so what's been your experience with third edition? Is there Have you, have you liked third edition? Are you, are you a fan? I'm a major fan. The one of the biggest problems I had getting into Kings of War was the I don't know it's kind of identity because I say because you can use whatever models you want. I was so used to Warhammer being this race is exactly like this, this race is exactly like this, and these are all the characters and this is all the backstory. You could dive in, you knew what it was, you, you could explore it within that identity of that race. But Kings of War because it didn't quite have all the like major characters didn't quite have all the model ranges and what with the uncharted empires that so well chuck anything in there didn't quite have that identity but matt gilbert's done an amazing job with the background and you see the old warhammer rule books you could just put them on a table and you'd be worried if the chair legs were going to give away and it was going to come crashing to the top <laughs> and finally we've got a big thumping hardback it's not just a book, it's a tome. You can slam that down on the table and you're going to hope it's a strong one. Um, and all that extra fluff, all that characterization, it just gets you more in with the army. And, and that's what I really missed and that's what it's given me. And that's the main thing that I love. The rules have been tidied up quite a bit. There's not much, a huge difference from second edition. One or two bits, I'm still a bit, well, I'm not too sure... Like, am I on the hill? Can I see over the hill? But my leader points on, but can they see me and can I see them? And I haven't played enough games, so all those little nuances uh, have sunk in yet. But I'm getting there, and and the rebalancing of the armies has all been good. So, yeah, loving it. So would you say you're kind of uh, more of a fluff guy? Is that where you kind of come from? Are you a hobbyist or competitive? Where would you place yourself on that scale? I like to think of myself, Stephen, as a hobby champion. I'm a bit of everything. Love going to tournaments, hanging out with people, gaming. I'm just as happy sat at home, sticking my fingers together, building toys, painting, absolutely dog background, reading and writing it. So, yeah, full experience. 
You're a, a complete gamer, you you say. Yeah, well, there's so much great stuff. You're just kind of missing out if you're like, oh, I love listening to a lot of the podcasts and you listen to some of the tournament guys talking about gaming. You're like, well, it's all good, but chaff and this and that. And it's like, you know, there's a whole world around what you're picking in your army. And a lot of the time we'll talk about gaming and we'll focus on that side. But you chat to a lot of normal guys like, oh, I really live these toys. They're rubbish, but I want to put them in my army anyway. And I'm kind of that side of the gaming. But with the tournament rankings, I've actually become a bit addicted to them. It's like, oh, I've done this well this month and check the masses. <gasps> I've jumped two places. Brilliant. I can't wait for the next tournament. I'm going to smash them all and I'm going to jump at least. Oh, no, I, I, I spooned it and I've dropped four. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely love the masters list and I'm slowly getting higher. I think my first year I was like, hey, I made the top 100. And then I think I was 122. And then I was 70 odd and uh, down to 50 odd. And I'm, I think I'm 32 at the moment. That's not bad, to be fair. That's often, it was not a full year, was it? But, you know, 32. Over is two years. Yeah. I mean, I can be better at gaming, but I look at Army List and I'm like, well, I just don't want to paint up all those toys for that specific list just so I can win a game. I want to be able to win with what I've got. And if I can do that, I think I'm probably a better general. I think, to be honest, I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And I, that's something that I, I, I kind of felt but hadn't really thought out loud before, which is that, you know, I, I like competitive games. And, I, you know, everyone likes winning, don't they? But actually, there's something like if you're just putting down something, you're just putting it down just to smash face and not there's not it's lacking something isn't it? it's really empty it's just a game and actually i really like people that bring that ethos and the background to their armies people that have a little story with their army i think that's the coolest bit because then you can tell they've really put some love into it and it becomes so much much more rich doesn't it, it becomes a richer experience i absolutely adore it when people put up things on facebook and it's like look at this new unit i've done and you look at it and go ah uh, looks like 13 year old kids just dropped it in the toilet, dusted it off and put a bit of flock on the base badly. And But you know what? That guy's putting so much love into that and he clearly loves what he's done so much. He's put it up on Facebook and so everybody can see how well he's, how proud he is. And I was like, awesome. So I hate the kind of negativity where it's just like, oh, that's rubbish. Blah, blah, blah. No, exactly. everybody loves the game, but they love it at different levels and they love it at different ways. Uh, I just like that. You can appreciate that. Definitely. So, what armies do you play at the minute? Do you, you know, are they all just your old Warhammer armies, or you got a Trident round? What, what's, what's your, what flavors are you playing at the minute? No, the only Warhammer army I actually kept was my Bretonian. So, I use them as Kingdoms of Men. I've used them as Brother Mark. At the moment, I can probably put together about five, six, or seven full-size tournament armies for Kings of War. And I've probably got another 10 on the go after that. <laughs> <laughs> it is addictive, isn't it? I keep I keep doing this. I keep saying, right, I'm, I'm going to finally sit down. I'm going to do my Brother Mark army. Because I've, I've had this idea, and I've talked about it on Counter-Charge Rage, about doing a, a, like a Chinese historical-themed army. But then I've, I think, oh, but I've, I only need to, a couple more models to make a, you know, a proper new Twilight King list. And I've got these shamblers, so I can have a suit. And, and I've got like three armies on the go. And I never actually got round to that bloody army. In the, but you, it's, you keep building up more and more on my shelves. It's, it's groaning. I've got no more space. So I don't know what I'm going to do about that. But it's addictive, isn't it? Yeah, I've, I've got most of my stuff in, because I don't have a lot of space. Most of my stuff's in boxes in my girlfriend's loft. She's like, oh, should we do the loft one weekend? I'm like, shit, no, she's going to see everything. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, the loft's fine. Leave it alone. It's all fine. 
What's in the shoebox? Oh, no, that's just something of mine. Just put it to one side. <laughs> <laughs> so what are you working on at the minute? Are you working on a new army? Um, well, I say I'm working on several. On my painting table right this second next to me, I've got a Mantic Giant and I've got a Phoenix. Uh, but the Mantic Giant, I can use that in about five or six armies. I can use it in Kingdoms of Men. I've seen the new Vanguard Ogres. I'm like, ooh, can I justify a new army? But if I've got a giant, I don't have to get as many ogres, so I can right, kind of just exactly. a little bit more. <laughs> just a couple more. It's fine. Just a couple. And ogres, it's like low model count, right? So just like four yeah. for a horde, five for a horde, you know. I, I may have already got like a few shooters, and, but I like to do every army a little bit differently. So I think ogres, I'm going to do a, a total like heavy shooting army. I've got a built Empire of Dust army, and that's still all on its single bases. Uh, full model count Mantic so uh, that's a little bit different my Trident Realms are they my first one and I'm really proud of them but uh, they're not quite as I'm happy with them in 3rd edition and to be honest I've been playing with them for 2-3 years I'm just a bit bored there's loads of other stuff out there I can do so they're to one side but I did just do 2 new units of Water Elemental so they can go in there if I want I've got Forces of Nature and stick them in a Brothermark army so now I've got to do a brother, um, Order of the Green Lady Brothermark Army, which is a damn shame. I've got Green Lady. I've got a few Beasts of Nature. Now I'm, and I can use my Bretonians in there. So I've got an army of that free. Um, it's all the chopping and changing. If I've got a few units that I can use in different armies, I'm like, ah, I don't have to get a full army now. I've just got one and just pick a few units up for fun. So I think it's a clever marketing strategy. I, I think uh, the way the lists have been constructed is really smart. And I know they've done it, some of it deliberately, but the fact that you can have units like Water Elementals and suddenly you've got two or three armies unlocking for you and they can kind of catch your eye and then you're buying more and more and more. I think that's that's really smart. And actually, it's, it's really cool. It's a cool way to try out new armies as well, isn't it? So you can kind of play around with them a bit. And because, uh, well, you see the American like tournaments, uh, like Universal Battle, they're all playing like 2,300 points. But down in the South, over the last few years, because we've had such a drive for new tournaments, new players, a lot of the tournaments we've been doing are either 1,000-point doubles or smaller size games. We've had like a couple of thousand tournaments, like 1,495 points. So you don't actually need a huge amount of models. So a lot of, whereas before I'd be like, do I really want to do a Northern Alliance army? It's a lot of extra building and painting and extra cost. But I've got all the stuff from the Vanguard Kickstarter and I've got the Shadows of the North box set. So I've got a few bits and, well, tell you what, I'll just do a thousand point army of them. I'll do a thousand point of army of Abyssals. Uh, I've got some dwarves in my bits box. I'll do a thousand points of them. So I've got about 10, 15 armies on the go. But because I chop and change between them so much, I never get bored. And hobbying supposed to be fun. Getting one army and building it and painting it to a tournament standard is a hell of a lot of work. So, well, I've got armies I can play and just building and painting for fun. And if I end up with a new army at the end of it, sweet. If not, never mind. Exactly. <laughs> had, you've, had, you've had fun, right? I've had fun doing it. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's just toy soldiers, isn't it? So they're designed to be having fun. And if you're not enjoying it, why are you doing it? Yeah, no, exactly. I, I I actually really like lower point games. I I don't. Are you playing in the Call to Arms tournament? No, I really would love to, but then I'd have to work out how to use Universal Battle and organizing games. And 
Oh, did it looks like fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's easy. I was saying, but a lot of people, because of the way the scoring system for that is constructed, you get more points if you play more points. So it's like 80% of the games are now 2,300, which is fine. And I don't mind because it's universal, but you don't have to make the models or anything, right? But my um, my most recent op- opponent is an Australian guy. And he was like, can we play 2,000? And I was like, yes, at last. <laughs> I really like, and I enjoyed it so much more than these big games where you can throw in the whole kitchen sink. You know, the, the ability to play lower points games. And, he, and like you say, 1,400, 1,500 games, they're quick. And they're, it still involves strategy. It does kind of unbalance in some ways. But I, I think they're really fun lower pointed games. It's one of the things that I love about the South in our area because we do have those low point games and we have the higher games and uh, a couple of tournaments. I did the Easter Endurance down in uh, in Tournament War Games in Paul and they had three army lists of the day, five games escalating in points values. And you, when you've got so many different point values at different tournaments, you really have to think what you're doing more and you have to put a lot more thought into your army building and it just keeps the game fresh. If you have the same, you'll play a 2,000 point game in a tournament, you're like, right, that's my tournament army. And you might take one unit out, put in a magic item here or there, and you'll just tweak it. You become really good with that army. But again, it's just the boredom factor for me. And that's one of the problems I used to have on the Warhammer tournaments team. You just get an army. You'd work out a perfect army because that was the optimum. And you stuck with it. And it just got a little bit dull. Whereas Kings of War, because... Obviously, the game's not quite as unbalanced as Warhammer. I say you've got so many options. You just keep it fresh and it keeps the game exciting. And you can every now and again just go a bit wacky. Yeah, definitely. I think I think you see more wacky armies in the South than you do uh, elsewhere in the country just because of the points values and because you've got people like Mark Cunningham taking seven giants and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've played that army. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> not good, but a lot of fun. <laughs> it's fair to say. So um, one of the reasons um, I was really keen to get, I've been, I, I, I've been kind of badgering Danny for a little while to get him on the show is because Danny uh, is a real life war gamer. So, um, so uh, one of Danny's hobbies, correct me if I'm wrong, is running around muddy fields, brandishing weapons. And we're not talking about foam weapons. We're talking about real steel, right? We're talking about real steel. High tempered EN45 reenactment grade hit each other proper steel weapons. <laughs> Amazing. So how did you get into real life wargaming? Well, when I was younger, like I said, it, it, everybody who does this type of thing, they've got that little interest of spark in them, like just like wargaming and watching stuff like Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and Musketeers. Um, when I was little, he's like, I'd love to do stuff like that. And my dad used to take me to the odd reenactment and I see knights jousting. And then we went up to Helmsley Castle once and they had cannons going. I was like, this is amazing. I'd love to do stuff like this. And then you grow up and you kind of forget it. And I did fencing for years during my teens. Then I moved on to martial arts and um, did Aikido and got my black belt in that. But when I moved down south, I tried loads of clubs. Didn't really have any I liked. And then one day my mate is in the army he's like come and have a look in the back of me van that's like uh do i really want to be doing this you don't have like a dead hooker in there or something do you it's like no 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 it's fine and he had like a sword and a shield and uh spears and what have you and i was like well this looks good uh, how do you do this then he's like oh what are you doing on saturday so um yeah he let us have a play and he's like do you want to buy this old sword i was like yeah yeah meet me in town so um oh i'm in the pub so i went down the pub and we're there chatting away and he's like, 
oh, I can't give you a lift home. I was like, right, you've just sold me this sword in this pub. And uh, so I had to stick it down my trouser leg. Unfortunately, I was a little bit more of a, a gothier sort in those days. And I had my big black leather trench coat. Um, I think I was like Brandon Lee in the Crow. And I had that down my leg, trench coat on. And yeah, I had to limp through the centre of the town, walking like past police cars and stuff with a sword down my leg. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. But I started, started going to like the odd little show and building up my kit. Managed to get a big sheet of leather and made like my first band braces and sewed my first shoes and um, started doing local shows and going to training and uh, met a few other groups. And yeah, I've done everything from like small village fates to uh, I think the Battle of Hastings. We did the, the 950th anniversary a few years back and there was a thousand people on the battlefield for that. So uh, absolutely massive spectacle. Over the years, I've slowly moved away from like the big English show fight uh, style because uh, it's a little bit Monty Python-ish. And now I've moved over to the more competitive European styles, which is a lot quicker, more combat sport focused. And um, yeah, I love it. Amazing. So where do, where do you where do you go now for the, you say the European style? Is that, is that in Europe or more of a European style in the UK? Uh, it's both. In Europe, there's two kinds of styles that they call. They call Western style and Eastern style. Eastern styles where they put on the heavy armor, big heavy helmets, and clonk each other everywhere. Um, Western styles more, well, basically all you need is a pair of padded gloves and uh, a weapon in your hand, and you can have a go. Um, so I do a lot more of that. And uh, I train down at the village hall near Slough. So I do that Sunday nights. Obviously, we're not doing it at the moment because of the COVID-19. And um, we do training weekends. I don't really do shows in England anymore. I say because falling out of the English scene. But uh, we do the training weekends. This is the odd show. And then once a year, I go out to uh, Mosgard Museum in Denmark, and we do a full week of fighting. It's right on the beach. And then we do like the big show for the weekend. On the weekend, like having proper big battles, and it's all competitive fighting. You've got a king, you've got a general, you've got unit commanders. And you go out on the battlefield to pick a battle plan before you go on. And to a degree, it's a little bit like Kings of War. And you can see the units and you think, this unit's good at this. Let's put them on this flank. And you've got to react to the enemy's battle plan. And people are shouting at you, get left, get left, get left. Take some skirmishes down there. And it's like being in the middle of a real battle. Obviously, it's, it's not real. We're not trying to kill each other. I mean, it's so quick that... You've got to hit somebody just enough so they feel it, but not so much it hurts them. Obviously, it gets a little bit heated, but um, you'll come away with bruises. But I've only ever been to hospital once, and that was when I had a split lip, and the doctor was like, oh, and the nurse was, uh, basically said, oh, the face doctor's busy. Can you come back in the morning? And I woke up, and it was kind of sticking together, so I never went back. <laughs> I was going to ask how, how real it is, because I'm assuming they're not edged weapons. They're, they're blunted. Is that is that right? They're all blunted, like a spear tip will be rounded like a 5P piece. And um, most of the competitive weapons tend to be a lot lighter. And let's say you're just trying to hit each other just so they feel it. And if you're doing a, a, a massive swing, putting loads of strength into it, you're telegraphing it. It's really slow and it's a lot easier to block, get out of the way. And it's the uh, quick whoosh, shots that get you. <laughs> a little bit like fencing. I did a bit of fencing uh, at school because I went to a posh school. And um, yeah, it, it's very much that kind. Of, it's, it's it doesn't feel necessarily like as real as it could be because what you're trying to you're trying to whip, aren't you, to try and get the point rather than to hit. But it's still 
very much it's got the same kind of to and fro of, of sword fighting right yeah at the very basic level you're pretty much just playing tag with metal weapons but at a competitive level obviously and when you've got the full authentic viking kit got all the clothes embroidery jewelry um and you've got all authentic weapons matched to the period all right being in the middle of that melee and you're not just with fencing obviously you're fighting the person in front of you but when you're in the middle of a shield wall you're not just fighting that guy uh he's not the one that's going to kill you the one that's going to kill you is the spear three people three men down he's going to reach across and uh, as soon as that gap comes open and it's very very tactical but it's tactical on a one-to-one basis as opposed and a small group basis as opposed to we've got a massive unit of 40 guys here um so there are similar tactics but rather than having a, a unit of chaff you'd have one guy would be running around as chaff so um there's a lot of similarities but obviously you can't replicate it <laughs> and you've written a blog about this uh, recently which is just goes into the the details and kind of your thoughts about the comparison between kind of a real life wargaming and kings of war as well haven't you yeah um i think the first time i actually started thinking of it was i went to a little vanguard tournament and i was chatting to somebody and they were like oh i don't like the thing about being able to sneak up on somebody and i was like actually it's pretty realistic if somebody comes at your side you can see them out of your peripheral vision you can just turn and fight them Obviously, when you're in a big unit, you can't because people are squashing you in. You're ranked up pretty tightly and it's really hard to manoeuvre. And if somebody gets you in the back, you're pretty much toast. Um, so you've got to position people behind your unit to see off those runners trying to get you. So, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about it a while and you went, Danny, I want a blog of this. I was like, yeah, right then. So, um, yeah, put it all down to paper. Yeah, it's awesome. I, I will I'll link it in the show notes. People can go and look at it if they haven't seen it already, because I think it's a really, really great read. Uh, great read. Oh, thanks. It's weird when you do things like uh, writing a blog. You think, ah, oh, I'll write this. I think it's quite a good idea. And then you yeah, put it up on Facebook and you're like, oh, it's only got seven likes. Nobody likes me. <laughs> <laughs> I wasted all that time for nothing. And then somebody comes up and goes, I really enjoyed your blog. I was like, ah, oh, Facebook knows nothing. Exactly. Facebook likes mean nothing. Absolutely. So, so how many weapons do you own? Do you, do you have a favourite? What's what's your what's your favourite flavour? Oh, I've got five swords, two spears. Uh, main things I fight with. Uh, I hate having shields. After doing fencing martial arts for years, having that big weight on my arm, I just don't like it. And when I first started, it gave me tendonitis in my arm, so I switched to two weapons. So. Uh, Rather than fighting in ranks and uh, in a shield wall, I tend to run around a lot more fighting with two weapons. And also I use a long-handled axe, which is two metres long. So they're my favourites. I've got five swords, one of which is I've had custom-made for me to like my specifications. Because Viking swords are basically just butcher's blades, and they've got quite small handles. And the way i fought with swords in the past, I need to rotate my wrist more, and they dig in too much, and I don't like them. So uh, I've had mine is based on a Denmark blade. And uh, a lot of the English style swords had curved cross guards as opposed to the flat ones. So it's a lot like that. I can roll my wrist more and it, it's perfectly balanced for me. So yeah, that's my favorite. I love it. When I was a kid, I was obsessed, like yourself, I was obsessed with, with, with swords and sorcery and stuff. And I, I managed to wangle a, a few terrible swords and, and like persuaded my mum to buy me one or two. And um, 
I always remember seeing the ad- the adverts in White Dwarf for Raven Armories. Do you remember them? Oh yeah, and they had like the curved, like the double headed battle axe with like a wiggly one. Yeah, they had all of those, and they had a, they had one. They had the Stormbringer, which was the 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 Michael Moorcock, um, Elric of Melnibane kind of sword. Which and I, I looked them up recently. They still exist, and they're still selling those swords. Yeah, they're, they do. they're eight grand now. <laughs> if you they're want really one, really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> Hideously, I'm like I said to my wife the other day. You know, I just really, you know, I'm, I'm a grown up now. I can I can buy things. I I'm going to look up Raven Armies. I'm like eight thousand pounds. Maybe <laughs> next year. I don't know. So where do you get yours from? Is are there, I suppose there are specialist suppliers for kind of reenactment and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, at most shows, there's a couple of guys that'll turn up in England, uh, out in the continent when they have the big markets. You can have like 40, 50 traders to do a big one up in York. A lot of the guys do it offline. Let's say I had one custom built for me by um, one of my group. Bob Davies is a fantastic swordsmith. These swords really were um, sought after. And um, he made one for me. Another one I bought from a blacksmith who does one up in um, Armour Class up in Scotland. Uh, really good swords i've got a couple of his blades another one i bought off some guy from poland i don't know what he's called at all but it looked nice bought it <laughs> and what do they if you don't let me ask him what do they run to in terms of price um for a, a decent you can uh, say the armor class one you can get you can get a decent combat sword for less than 200 pounds Oh, Danny, can 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 you can you sort me out? <laughs> we need, next time we're at a tournament, I'm going to have a longer chat with you about this because uh, it's been a it's been a dream of mine to have it, have some swords on the wall in the front. The, my, my wife is very not keen, it's fair to say, but uh, if I, oh, I can I can make it look nice, you know, just for a... some are stacked up in the corner. I do actually have a big copy of um, Narsil, the sword that cut the ring from Sauron's hand, that's in the corner of my girlfriend's room next to her broomstick. <laughs> amazing so do you think um seeing strategy in real life informs the way you play on the tabletop do you think you play differently to how other people play because of that are you thinking about real battles or are you just fo- focused solely on the game and the rules when you're playing kings of war it's yeah just focusing on the game when you're fighting on the battlefield you're so focused in what you're doing it's really hard to think of the bigger picture um a lot of people fight in lines um but obviously you've Everybody's got their own skills and strengths. Some people are amazing spearmen. Uh, other people are really good at guarding the spearmen with sword and shield. Uh, I generally work as a shock troop, so I'll stand at the back and I'll wait to see where the line's going and I'll wait for that break point. You can just see the line wave a little bit and you think, that's the tipping point. I need to be in the middle of there and force my way through with the others and that'll break us through. Or if a line's beginning to go, it needs somebody to charge in there, go, gather back to just rally the line and push them back. And um, that's one of the things I'm best at. And also, I'm a really good runner. So if I see that point and I see a gap in the line, I'm through like greased weasel shit and on the back because I'm all right facing one-to-one. In a tournament situation, one-on-one, I'm not amazing. But put me in the middle of a melee or give me a gap to run through and, yep, I shine. So that's what I'm best at. So looking at the battlefield and those tipping points, it's yeah, it's nice to stand back and watch, and it does give you that sense of kings of warriorsnessness about it. So, do you have? Um, I, I imagine you as kind of one of those wings of honey maids, kind of hunter characters. That's that's how I see it. You know, the, yep. the winged assassin, <laughs> right? <laughs> Unfortunately, Steve, it also means I am chaff. <laughs> ah, no, <laughs> in yes. the most possible way. <laughs> but if my epic death means that. 
I get round the back, kill two or three people who are fighting my guys, and that gives them just enough of a break to push their way through, and they win. I've done my job. Sacrifice that unit. You've won. Yeah, and time. the bigger the battle, the more you've got to put your ego aside. Um, and that's the same with any game, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that putting your ego aside in a... In a... In a field full of men swinging swords is probably uh, a big ask as well with some of the people. <laughs> Having a sword in your hand probably gives you more of an ego than you're justified to have sometimes. Yeah, sometimes you have to hold your breath lest you drown in the sea of testosterone. But um, <laughs> it's funny, actually. You see across the world, this country's been at war with this country and this war with all those racial tensions and all those problems. You go into that field and you've got Polish, Germans, Irish, English, Danish, Dutch, Scandinavians. We've even had a Mexican. We get the Americans coming over, Italians, French. Everybody gets on that battlefield and everybody accepts the rules. Everybody's armed and there's no problems. It's crazy. (laughs) I'm not sure it's a solution to world peace, but I'll I'll go with it. Yeah, Um, (laughs) it works for me. (laughs) So what's the inspiration behind uh, Get Older, Don't Grow Up? Why, Why start a blog now? Combination of factors. Obviously, um, I'd never really bothered with podcasts before, but um, one day looking at my car radio thing, I was like, oh, it's Bluetooth. I've never really used Bluetooth before. Actually, did you know Bluetooth actually was a, a Viking thing? Yes. Is it? Okay. I, I, I'll believe you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll stop babbling now. Okay. So I was listening to podcasts and I'm like, this is all right. I could do this. So I, I remember mentioning to one of the King of Hearts guys, it was Matt, Hall, I was like, yeah, we got, we should do a podcast. Franticon guys are doing one. Four Foot Snake guys are doing one. We should do one. I was just like, eh, not really, Danny. I was like, and I was just basically just sat there thinking, well, what would we talk about? And then um, that's where the blog really came about from. I was like, fine, if you guys aren't going to do it, I'm going to do it on my own. And just sitting on my own on a laptop is far easier writing a blog than doing a podcast. As you probably know. <laughs> well, yeah, but yeah, I just I just tagged on to Countercharge because no one was listening to my voice, so I just you know I forced them to by uh, joining Countercharge. But if no one else wants to listen to you or to talk with you, you might as well just talk to to the internet, right? So a blog's the perfect way to do that. Yeah, and that's the whole point. Uh, if you read the intro to my blog, it's like I wanted to keep it quick enough so you could read it on the toilet because you put on a podcast. And I drive to work, it's half an hour. Some of these podcasts are like an hour and a half long. It's like, yep, that's great. But I've just had to listen to two guys talk about beer and what programs they've been watching for half an hour. I could do that down the pub. So uh, I wanted to keep it quick, succinct, and uh, yeah, long enough to read on the toilet because let's face it, we know you all do it. <laughs> <laughs> so you done, is this your first blog? Have you done a blog before? Or is it your first no, blog? No, I've never done one before. Um, I've always wanted to be a writer. It's just one of those, yeah, I want to do that, but never kind of got around to it. Uh, I wrote a novel a few years back, 90,000 words, uh, sent it off to a few agents, um, didn't really get anywhere with it, and I just kind of lost interest. So, yeah, I've had novels sat on my laptop for the last, last five, six years doing nothing. But I finally edited it and uh, come to the conclusion I'm going to have to self-publish it myself. I'm just lazy and getting around to it because, you know, I've got toy soldiers to play with instead. Well, exactly. Have you read any of the Kings of War fiction? Some of the, uh, like the, um, uh, the Basilean one and the, the new Trident Realm one? I'm glad you asked, Steve, because that's exactly the other reason I started a blog. Um, when you're 
wing to size and like, right, we're going to do some books. It's like, this is brilliant. I'd love to write Kings of War books. It was that, like I said before, it's that gap in the, the background just really needed filling. And I was like, well, there's no books yet. It'd be awesome to be part of that journey where you're helping craft that world and all those characters for the people to read. I absolutely love that. So uh, I looked on the Winterstar admission site and uh, I checked what I needed to do, wrote out a start of the first 10,000 um, words of a story, sent it off to Winterstar and uh, waited. Unfortunately, I then got steps to deliverance, read that, loved it and went, oh, no. I was like, it's very similar to what I've just sent off. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, ooh, an abyssal in disguise. Oh, there's a paladin. Oh, uh, so they got back to me. It's like, yeah, you, we've kind of just done one of this. It's like, I'm fully aware of that. So I've written another one, um, Night Stalkers and um, Force of Nature. And I've sent that off and they're going to have a look at that one. So amazing. But who's, if you, uh, at the moment, let's face it, I'm, I'm just a nerd sat in my bedroom writing stories on my own. It's, I needed to raise my profile up a little bit. I needed to practice writing more. I was just like, well, I don't just do a Kings of War blog. And I say, the podcast idea and i wanted to you know what just go for it so i did and here we are cool well, we should keep by brandon uh, rossbond we've had him on the show a few times and he he's really open to and i think that's really one of the really great things about kings of war being a growing game is that they're really open to new authors coming on on board and like uh, ben stoddard who's just written drown seekers that's his first book and he's you know it, it's come through winter sar and through his love of kings of war so i'm really excited that you might be joining the stable as well mark zelinski will be hopping on his chair with excitement because he's the big uh, narrative guy <laughs> cool but like i said when i'm i'd already written a book and trying to get into the publishing market it, it's not easy you've either got to be an established author or you've got to have like be incredibly lucky and kings of war you've got to write about what you know and it's a really good feed in for a writing career for me and to be honest if i could make a career writing fantasy novels that'd be awesome so um yeah all in and uh i did the online competition you know they announced it a couple of months back yeah, 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 for the, for the, short, the short story one right yep i did that um sent it in and that's been accepted. So uh, my first published work. So I'm really excited about that. Um, it's all based around a, a Nyad character called Mora, which I think is like Latin for cod. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Everybody's reading it. It's like, ah. Uh... <laughs> don't, don't worry. I'm sure no one's listening. It's, it's absolutely fine. That's super exciting, man. So are you going to carry on with the blog? And you got like, some idea for future articles? Yeah, I've got a few more ideas. Um well, I'm, I'm going to uh, go for a big one. I, I, I really want to look at the coming back of the old world, the uh, Big Games Workshop announcement. But I don't like the, oh, I think this is going to be a stupid idea. I like looking at an argument and I like giving a balanced approach. I've always tried to do that a lot in my blog because you just read Facebook and it's like somebody's complained, 100 um, comments arguing. I like putting some there, something out there that people can read, see the back and forth and just my opinion on what I think about it. So, uh, yeah, I think that's going to take quite a bit of writing. But there's not going to be a blog for a while because guess what I'm getting this week, Steve? Okay. Uh, okay, so I guess. Guess. Uh, no, a, no, 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 no. It's, it's toy-related. It's toy you did a podcast about it recently. Uh, I got from week to what week. What is I'm... it, Skipper? <laughs> Come on, what is it? 3D printer. Hey, yeah! <laughs> 
I'm sitting next to mine. Yeah, I'm getting the 3D printer. So uh, I want to write a blog about, because when you're first coming into it, it's like, man, that looks brilliant. But you've got to find all the different bits of information, what you need, what you don't need, watching YouTube videos. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be prattling around with that for a few weeks and I'll probably write a blog about my little adventures into the world of 3D printing. Amazing. Have you gone, is it plastic? Is it resin? What's the one? What have you gone for? It's a resin one. It's uh, I'm not overly bothered about terrain because I've got no friends to play with. So uh, <laughs> that's why I come to Kings of War tournaments. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's purely going to be resin miniatures. Uh, I got excited and I've already uh, got two Patreons. My um, my friends actually used to work with me in Kings Workshop. It's uh, Duncan Shadow Luca. Uh, he's been putting stuff up on Facebook for years. He's a fantastic sculptor. I think he even did one or two for Mantic a while ago. Um, so, yeah, I've signed on to his pension and, and um, yeah, I've got a list of stuff I want to print. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you know, I'd, I really would love to get a resin printer, but I've got a three-year-old and nowhere to put it that's ventilated. So that's how that's in a few. When I've cleared the shed, I'm, I've got my eye <laughs> on like a little corner of the shed, but um, yeah, not, not for a, a couple of years, I think. So I'm going to have to carry. I have been... Um, my wife's been uh, trying to get me to find a second career because <laughs> and and I, I mentioned that because I like I like painting I like art and, and I, I mentioned about doing 3D sculpting and stuff so she's trying to get me to, to practice a little bit more to make some miniatures and stuff but that's a, another future another future project and there's so many talented sculptors out there that you can fill your boots can't you with all the stuff they're producing right now yeah I looked at that I was like I spoke to my friend he's like yeah get ZBrush I've got a, um, looked at a few tutorials I got a free go on it and I was like, I'm just going to wait till I've got a 3D printer and I've got a vague idea of what I'm doing because this is way too much for me. So I did splurge out on an expensive, powerful um, Apple Mac uh, Pro. So I've, I've got the stuff to do it. Uh, I've just not got the skills yet. So I'm going to do some printing, see how all that works. And then I'm going to start uh, looking at myself as like, that'd be a good career choice because obviously I'm a gardener and sooner or later my body's going to collapse on me and I can't do it forever. So having a backup would be nice. But, you know, looking around, there's so many out there. I'm like, it's going to be a saturated market. By the time I get up to doing it, there's not going to be much point. But as a hobby, printing out toy soldiers is going to be fantastic. So, um, yeah, good. Amazing. Well, I wish you the best of luck with it. I look forward to that blog, definitely. Cheers. Danny, thanks so much for talking to me. Is there, any, is there anyone you want to, before we wrap up, is there anyone you want to shout out? Anyone you want to thank people, companies, anyone you want to, to, to shout out to before we before we wrap up? Uh, let's do all the local shops that we do tournaments at. They've got the pit in Boreham Woods, North London. There, Matt there is fantastic. We did a little Vanguard tournament there, and he always brings his shop down to all the King of Hearts tournaments. Uh, Entertainment games down in Poole. We do tournaments there. They're fantastic. Um, and Tabletop Republic in High Wycombe, we do tournaments there, and all the local, uh, you know them all, the Stain of Blood guys, King of Hurts, the Bexley, Bexley Reapers, Exploding Eights. We've got a fantastic little community down here, um, south of England. It's brilliant. Amazing. The beautiful south. The beautiful south, indeed it is. <laughs> Although not Slough, let's face it, which is come bombs, fall on Slough. There is something beautiful about Slough, Steve, and that's the road out of it. <laughs> <laughs> so how do people find your blog? Do you want to, uh, it's, uh, it's kingsofwar.family.blog, is that right? Yeah, because let's face it, we're all a community, we're all a family. 
Uh, and that's the free one that WordPress gave me, so I didn't have to pay for it. So, yay! <laughs> <laughs> it works fine for me. <laughs> I'm on Facebook, but if I don't know you, I won't add you as a friend, so tough. <laughs> yeah, tough on you. Do you ever do, do you any kind of, do you do Twitter or anything like that, or other kind of social media? No, it just seems like too much hassle. <laughs> I mainly just use Facebook for looking at toy soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm the same. I, I, my mum's like, have you seen my post on Facebook? And like that mum, no, it's just toy soldiers. There's nothing else I'm looking at. Everything else is blocked. Yeah. <laughs> but it's great because you get to see stuff as it's coming out and you get to chat with people about it. I remember like we were little kids and we, like I say, the 30th year anniversary for me, waiting for that white dwarf coming out to see what new toys are coming out next week or next month it's like a touch of a button now and you can talk about it and you speak and uh Mantic are fantastic about with their blogs and yeah it's great i love it like instant access to constant childhood isn't it it's amazing instant access because remember steve they're just toys it's just for fun <laughs> <laughs> remember kids stay alert keep social distancing at least two meters away from abyssals and keep counter charging thanks for listening and we'll see you next time on Countercharge. Please let us know what you thought of the show by emailing us at counterchargepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter at countercharge15, or by commenting on the Countercharge Kings of War podcast Facebook group. If you enjoy the show, you can help others find out about it by leaving positive reviews on iTunes. Until next time, keep countercharging. Music is a composition of Kevin McLeod and is licensed under Creative Commons.